I know we just read it. I know we just sang it. O sacred head now wounded, when I survey the wondrous cross, were you there? We sang it. We read it. It doesn't make sense. How could it make sense? How could the King of glory, the Lord of lords, the creator of the universe, give himself to die on a cross? It just it doesn't make sense. Maybe, just maybe that's why we've so sanitized the cross. It's nice, clean, polished. It's, it's a pretty ornament. Maybe, just maybe that's why the tradition I grew up in and so many others, we focus on the celebration of Easter Sunday, the victory, but we often do not like to think about the cross. Really think about the cross and what it tells us, what it speaks to us, the way it reveals to us. It's not the way of a king. It's certainly not the way that the God of the universe would want to act and move in our midst today. It doesn't make sense. Yet, if we fail to pay attention to Holy Week, if we fail to remember Good Friday and all that it represents, if we fail to walk through the season of Lent and remember all that Christ has done for us, we so easily slip into a cheap grace. Bonhoeffer reminds us, cheap grace is the grace we bestow on ourselves. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline. Communion without confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross. Grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. Costly grace is the gospel which must be sought again and again and again. The gift which must be asked for, the door at which men and women must knock, Such grace is costly because it causes us to follow. And it is grace because it causes us to follow Jesus Christ. It is costly because it cost cost His life. It is grace because it gives men and women the only true life. It is costly because it condemns sin. And grace because it justifies the sinner. Above all, It is costly because it cost God the life of his son. Ye were bought at a price. And what has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. Above all, it is grace because God did not reckon his son too dear a price to pay for our life, but delivered him up for us. Costly grace is the incarnation of God. We reflect on those words. And according to our human thoughts and our human ways and whatever wisdom we could bring to this, I still have to say it doesn't make sense. 
that though it may not make sense to me, I was reminded this past Sunday, that when Jesus went to Jerusalem, that final journey to Jerusalem, he knew that to which he was headed. Yet Jesus came to town for you and for me. He came for us. Today, this afternoon, we gather here as a community called. We speak of this often, of how we are a community called. We share in this dimension of feeling and recognizing that God has chosen us, that he has selected us, that he has called us, and it brings us together as a unique community. And we come together as a unique community this evening to celebrate Holy Week, to celebrate the cross, to celebrate the gift of life that has been given to us. And as we think of this passage in Corinthians, as Paul writes so boldly there, and challenges our thoughts, and challenges our ways. Picking up in verse 26, he writes, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Think for a moment of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us Wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, it is written, let no one <laughs> boast. Or let, excuse me, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. But God chose the foolish, the weak, the lowly, the despised, the things that are not. I don't know about you, but there are days when I find this passage to be a little offensive. I mean, foolish things? Weak? Lowly? Despised? Really? I mean, I deserve a little better than that. Come on. I mean, I have a BA. I have an MDiv. I have a doctor of ministry. And I'm working on a PhD. I may be nuts, but foolish? <laughs> that laughter concerns me, Jeff. <laughs> Yet all of those things are the achievements of this world. They're the standards that we use to measure in this world. This one kind of hurts. The Pharisees, they had a lot of knowledge. Was there anybody in the day and age of Jesus, other than Jesus himself, who knew more about Scripture than the Pharisees? They knew the Bible inside out. They were the seminary professors. They were the seminary students. They were the seminary vice presidents and presidents. Ouch. 
Yet they applied all of this knowledge according to the ways of this world. And who was Jesus the hardest on? Who were the harshest words of Jesus saved for and delivered to? The ones who knew the most about Scripture, but who also knew the least. They had not seen the ways of Jesus. Am I able to recognize the wisdom and power of God? Can I embrace the message of the cross? Can you recognize the wisdom and the power of God? Can you embrace the message of the cross? Is this something that we can do? We face the same challenges today that the Pharisees faced in their time. We're surrounded by knowledge and books and studies that can help us to know the things about God. But do we really know the ways of God? Eugene Peterson has written a wonderful book, The Jesus Way. And as he writes beautifully through the pages of that book, he comes to the place where he begins to make that comparison between the Jesus way and the ways of this world. And he picks just a few groups, a few individuals out of the life and times of Jesus to show incredible examples of those who excelled in the ways of this world. You think of Herod, a great political leader a master of the ways of this world through the political systems to achieve all that he achieved and build some of the things that he built that even to this day we can go and visit the ruins of things that Herod helped to build. (laughs) We can look at the life of Josephus, um, kind of like the celebrity of the day, well-known and famous. We still know of him. But has our life been changed by Josephus? Or we look at the Pharisees, the religious elite. These were the leaders of the pack, the top of their class. They all graduated summa cum laude. I know you're, and they were all valedictorians, even though you can only have one, supposedly, but they were all there. Yet what did the Pharisees leave us? Except an example of what is not the way of Jesus. Jesus turned things upside down so that really the ways of God seem to be foolish to us. But until we understand the ways of God, we persist in our own foolishness, in the ways of this world. And it is the message of the cross that calls us to something radically different, to a different way of life, to a different way of living and being and doing that this world will not understand. It doesn't make sense. And it shouldn't make sense. Because this is built upon the kingdom of God and the ways of God, which is a whole new order that we are invited to enter into and embrace and experience the transformation that only the cross and only the life and person of Jesus can bring to our lives. Will we embrace the ways of Jesus? Will we accept the way of the cross? When Jesus was with his disciples, 
we remember right at the heart of the book of Matthew when Jesus' public ministry is about to take a turn on its head and begin to focus attention upon the disciples themselves. And in that pivotal passage, Jesus tells the disciples, if anyone, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? This is the invitation of Jesus, but it is an invitation to embrace what in the worlds of the in, what in the eyes of the world is foolishness. A way that says becoming less means being more. A way that tells us that if I embrace my foolishness, God works through that to introduce into the world his wisdom. If I am willing to be weak, then in my own weakness is where God shows himself strong. If I am willing to be among the lowly, it is there that then Jesus lifts me up. If I will be despised, I will be accepted by God. Will we enter into the way of Jesus? Will we begin to live this life to which God himself invites us? A life that turns the ways of the world upside down, but brings us into the kingdom of God where eternal hope springs forth. Hope that surpasses anything Herod, Josephus, or the Pharisees could have imagined or ever accomplished. Kingdom power begins to shape us and work through us to create a new culture that surrounds us in our relationships and the way we interact and the things we do. And godly wisdom reveals the ways of Jesus, which begin to become our ways. But it's only as we embrace the cross, not a pretty sanitized cross, but the cross, the rugged cross on which Jesus himself was wounded. The Son of God incarnate paid the price that no one else could pay. Yet as we embrace what in the eyes of the world is foolishness, we receive the wisdom, the grace, the love, the mercy of God that can transform our lives and make us into what we could never imagine having become. May we embrace the Jesus way. May we embrace the cross that we remember this week as we walk through Holy Week. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost.